man. That was nice of you. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. Uh, before I uh, do the message, I just want to talk to our families for a sec. Um, just to say hi. I'm glad you're here. Kids, can I hear a big hi, Teacher Danya? Oh, do you hear that? That's the best sound. I'm sorry for those of you joining online. You didn't get to hear those cute voices. Um, so guys, be sure to do your Sunday challenges. And after the service, I'll meet you out. And I have some fun prizes for you this morning, okay? Does that sound like a plan? Oh, I'm glad. I think that's a good plan, too. And uh, parents, if you need a little extra space, as always, we have our family room available to you. Um, well... Our New Year started out with some major change. If you joined us last week, um, you learned that 16 days ago, just 16 days ago, barely more than two weeks ago, our our oldest daughter, Jenna, who graduated in June, um, was offered a nanny position in New York City. Man. And she was gone in a New York minute. (laughs) I didn't plan that. Okay, that was horrible. (laughs) Um, She and Isaac flew out yesterday. Um, So this week has been a little bit weird. (laughs) It's our first kid that we're sending off, and we're not just kind of sending her down the road or even to some Oregon college. She's she's going to New York, guys. Isaac sent us a video last night of um, them walking just down the street to the Empire State Building. Never, never would have saw this coming. Um, Jenna is about to experience some big change, right? Uh, Salem, New York. High rises, you can't build taller than the Capitol building, right? That's the statute, I believe, here in, in Salem. Taxis, bridges, they went, they went through the Lincoln Tunnel, goes underneath water. Don't sign me up for that. That's terrifying. Um, She's going to learn to ride the subway. Uh, There's Broadway, not now, but maybe in the future. Um, She is going to experience the epitome of out with the old and in with the new. But it's going to require something of her. It's going to require adjustment and change and probably some discomfort and a lot of learning. I have to admit, I'm not always great with new things. I have, uh, I'm, I'm a fairly change-oriented lady. My husband and I have lived in 16 different residences over the course of our 19-year marriage. I don't mind change, but I have kind of a funny habit that I'm going to share with you this morning. Um, I, I get presents or I, I get new items, and sometimes I don't use them. So item number one. Oh, my lid's not on. Does anybody know what this is? Man, this thing needs to be cleaned. Can you see it? It's filthy. And I just brought it here and I showed it to you. This is my Instapot. You might remember a few years ago when Instapots were all the rage. Can I hear the Instapot fanatics, please, for a second? Yeah, okay, we've got some in the room. <laughs> well, I, I succumbed to societal pressure and I bought an Instapot on Black Friday. Um, and I took it out of the box and I pulled out the manual and I... I looked at, it was a long manual, guys. So then I just put it in my cupboard and left it there for like two or three months, maybe longer, I don't know. What I do remember is it was such a hype. 
And I think there was a part of me that was skeptical. I was like, I don't believe this hype. And it was hyped, let me tell you, because that year alone at Christmas, three different family members came to my house, <laughs> one of them's in here, and made soup in my kitchen with an Instapot. And I made mine on the stove. <laughs> oh, I, I have used it, as you can plainly see, and if you were up here, you would plainly smell that I have used my Instapot. Is it worth all the hype? I'll say this. There's a reason we've stopped hearing about Instapots. <laughs> I use it sometimes. Um, okay, item number two. Everyone give me, give me a little drum roll. Does anybody know what this is? It's a MacBook Pro. That's right. I got a MacBook Pro, brand spanking new, as a gift um, when Isaac and I took our first church, our sending church gave it to me. And um, I have to tell you, Isaac, who is a tech guy, was chagrined, to say the least, when my MacBook sat in its box for months. I did not set it up. Finally, he pulled it out, and he set it up for me, and he said, you are going to use this. <laughs> Oh, man, I have to admit, after using PCs for all of my life, up until getting, up until getting my first MacBook Pro, um, I was intimidated. I didn't want to have to figure out how to use a new operating system. And so it sat there. Okay, last item. Drum roll. Thank you. Am I the only one in the room that thinks that a brand new pair of jeans is the worst thing in the world? Okay, I, I was wondering if I was alone in this. Okay, new jeans. When I find a pair of jeans that I love, I wear them until they're about 24 shades of blue lighter and riddled with holes. Now, these jeans I'm wearing are riddled with holes, but they were bought that way. They're fashion jeans. But let me tell you, they're about eight years old. I love these jeans. So I will, from time to time, go and purchase a new pair of jeans off the clearance. See my little clearance tag here? <laughs> these were $10.94. And so I bought them, and I brought them home, and I put them on, and I said, why did I buy these jeans? They're uncomfortable. I don't like them. Sometimes I will start my day in my new pair of jeans, and in about 10 minutes, I'm back in the closet changing out of my new jeans into my old jeans because they're more comfortable. And then my new, my new jeans are just like, Danya, you're not letting me fulfill my calling in life. And I'm just like, goodwill. <laughs> new requires adjustments. New requires change. New requires discomfort and learning. I'll tell you, I'm having a new experience right now. I'm wearing this mask, this uh, shield, as it were. And let me tell you, I feel like a scientist or something. In fact, I have a lab coat from some children's ministry like skits we've done in the past, and I almost wore my lab coat, but I need a drink of water, and I'm trying to figure out how to do it nonchalant, and I can't, so you're just going to have to watch me do it. <laughs> There it is, guys. You saw it, all of you. It's there forever now online. Just love it. Okay, for me, out with the old and in with the new 
is not always exciting news. Sometimes it just bums me out. In fact, I'm going to let you in on a little secret about Danya. The first week in January is my least favorite week of the year. Like, I just have to slog through. And then Isaac asked me to preach. <laughs> That's good prep to slog through your first week of the year. And this year, I just so happened to send my daughter across the country as well. There's nothing like rounding the corner away from Christmas and into the dreary, gray, just down in the dumps first week of January. I am not a big Happy New Year's person. I am more just like, wah, wah, Happy New Year's. <laughs> Andy, our friend, came and spoke last week, and he talked about the words of Jesus in Revelation 21.5, which say this, Behold, I make all things new. All things new. That sounds good, right? New is shiny. New is clean. New is potentially more reliable. New can be exciting and even a little bit mysterious. It creates a feeling of satisfaction when we get new stuff, right? But new takes adjustment. New requires change. New imposes upon us the realization, the reality, that every new thing eventually becomes old. And we are a culture that is addicted to new. New experiences, new possessions, new ideas, new technology, new relationships. We have dumbed down and diluted the meaning of the word new to evoke only good things. In fact, I would venture to say that you and I naturally have very little understanding of what Jesus meant by this statement. We take the feel good of it. Yes, Jesus, I want to be made new. I want my situation to be new. But then we forsake what is required to bring God's actual newness into our lives because it requires something of us. You and I are, are prone to returning to the old. Old habits, old ways of thinking. It's why our culture loves New Year's. The idea of a fresh start sure beats the idea of building on past failed efforts. As we look at these profound words, behold, I make all things new, we have to arrest our current misconceptions about the feel-good of the kind of newness our culture offers us and embrace the kind of newness that God issues. His newness is lasting, but it requires a long process of deep surrender. Let's pray. Father, um, you are a holy and good God, and we come into your presence right now wanting to learn, wanting to grow, wanting to embrace new. We rely on you. Holy Spirit, show us, peel back the layers of our imaginations and our, our misconceptions so that we can see more fully what you are up to in our lives, what you were up to in 2020 and how you want to build on that in 2021. Oh, Lord, we are finite, we are broken, we are incomplete, and we need you. We confess our need this morning, and we ask you to be in our midst as we go to your word and learn and grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, our scripture this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 16, so if you want to turn there, 
I'm going to turn there too. This is my new Bible. It's identical to my old Bible. My, my oldest daughter, so sweet, she noticed that my old Bible was falling apart, and she bought me the exact same new Bible. So, Jenna, if you're watching, I'm using the new Bible, girl, and I love it. Although I can't find anything anymore because there's nothing highlighted. So I'm going to work. I'm, I have to mark it up again. Okay. Matthew chapter 16, and we'll start in uh, verse 13 in a moment. Now, at this point, Jesus had been walking with his disciples for a while. They have seen him heal lepers and blind people and paralytics. They've watched him cast out demons. They've listened to his profound teaching, and they've watched him defy the religious institutions of his time. They've eaten food miraculously provided to thousands of people. They worshipped him after Jesus walked on water. Time spent with the Savior set the stage for major revelation in the life of one of my favorites. One of the pillars of the gospel, uh, one of the great disciples, Simon the fisherman. And most of us know him as Peter. So let's start in verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Then he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you, you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. This is a profound moment in Peter's life. For once, Peter gets it right. If you know anything about Peter, Peter, this is a a big deal. Peter trips up a lot. He doesn't get a lot of things right the first time. But here we see him boldly proclaiming the identity of Jesus Christ. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Imagine speaking those words to Jesus. Amazing moment. Peter had never said that before. New revelation had been dropped into Peter's spirit by the living God. And no doubt, Peter's heavenly father smiled upon him as these words burst forth from his spirit, words that so few, so few had dared to believe that this, the Messiah, the one that, that the people of Israel had been waiting for for hundreds of years was actually there in flesh and blood. And I love what happens next. On the heels of Peter's brilliant confession, Jesus prophetically introduces Peter to his new identity. Before this moment, he had been Simon, the fisherman. But Jesus gives him a new name, a new purpose, and a new set of keys. 
Peter hits the jackpot. Bam! Just like that. That's all there is to it, Dustin. That's all there is to it. A winner! Do you guys recognize like that? that? We'll be right back with more Price is Right. Don't go away. Call it out if you know what that is. Price is Right one of my favorites. I've got to tell you, I was telling Rhonda before service, that sound and shredded wheat put me back, right back in the middle of my childhood. <laughs> Peter hits the jackpot. He'd never said that before. Isaac and I have a long history of driving really old cars. So I think one of the reasons I loved Prices Right when I was a kid was they, the, the contestants who would have the opportunity to win a new car. And it was so exciting whenever they did because we just, we drove clunkers. And even into our marriage, we've driven clunkers. Our first car was a 1984 Honda Accord, complete with rust stain on the side, generously given to us by John and Linda, actually, uh, to Isaac at that point. And we drove that car happily because up till that point it was borrowing anyone's car who would let us drive it, which is just, I guess, how you do it in college when you're a thousand miles away from home. And so we had that car until we were married in 2001 and it finally died. And then John and Linda, if you need a new car, just go see John and Linda. I mean, <laughs> they gave us a 1988 Toyota Camry wagon. That was a baller car, let me tell you. I loved that car. And we had that car for a few years until it died. And then in 2009, I got to get my dream car, guys. Anyone want to guess how old this car was? 1994 Honda Accord, light blue. Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, low and slow, just kidding. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> But it was my dream car in 1994, so I was very excited about this car. We, uh, we passed that car on to Jenna when she got her license a few years ago, and she was nonplussed. She was less than enthusiastic, um, but she did name her Sally, and in a few months, Sally will become Owen's first car at the grand old age of 26 years old. And uh, she's a little worse for the wear. <laughs> she's got a lot of dings, and the seats might be exploding at this point. <laughs> but uh, she's still plugging along. And uh, so you might see a pattern here. Um, Isaac and I have chuckled to ourselves often uh, because, you know, as our kids have gotten older and their friends are driving, they're pulling into our driveway, and their cars are like 10 years newer than our cars. <laughs> and it's just a little bit hilarious. Um, so let me just say, suffice to say, that if I got a new car, it wouldn't sit in my driveway or in, you know, it, it would be on the road and I would be like one of those contestants, like, ah! <laughs> new car. Jesus gave Peter new keys. And it's, it, he, he gave him keys to something better than a new car. In fact, he get, gave him keys to something, something that would be worth almost nothing. Nothing in our culture today. He gave him keys to the kingdom of heaven. This was a big moment indeed, bigger than any game show win. But these new keys would require adjustment because new requires adjustment. New requires change. New requires discomfort and learning as we read about this new revelation in Peter's life, we get the feeling 
as something akin to a little toddler being handed his dad's pair of pants. Or shoes with room to grow. Did anybody do that with their kids? <laughs> the Bulbies are like, yes, we did. I, I got to tell you, though, Chris, I have never done that. I was always like, buy my kids shoes that are the size of their feet. You know why? Because shoes too big for your feet make you trip. And I didn't want to deal with any more tears than absolutely necessary. <laughs> oh, man. Well, not too long after his astonishing confession, Peter biffs it hard. Those shoes were too big for him. The shine of Peter's new revelation gets tarnished. Oh, I shut my Bible. That was, that was rookie, guys. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. So not, not long after this amazing confession, Peter trips up on his two big pair of shoes. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. But T Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said. This will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap for me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Wow. Peter had a lot of learning and growing to do, didn't he? This moment would be just the tip of the iceberg of the kind of discomfort that Peter would experience in following Jesus. Behold, I make all things new. This is a statement of hope, but it should be very sobering. In the wake of new identity, new purpose, and new keys, new revelation, Peter finds that he is not new. He still remained entrenched in old perspectives. Jesus was supposed to be a conquering king, not a dying servant. Some of you might remember the book, Parenting a Strong-Willed Child. <laughs> I might have read that book. I think Jesus needed a copy of this book <laughs> because Peter was frustratingly strong-willed. Peter in his two big pair of kingdom shoes, tripping up all the time. Peter, whose strong will caused him to trust his own ideas, to trust his own intuition, to trust his own instincts more than Jesus, whom he knew. He had just confessed, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Look what Peter says in verse 22. Heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. Even as Peter called Jesus Lord, in the same breath, he's telling him what to do because he was ensconced in self-trust. He was still very much the Lord of his own life, so much so that Jesus referred to him as Satan. I actually wrote in my notes here, funny comments. But it's not funny. It's terrifying. 
What, that, what this shows us is that when we interject our will and interpose it on God's will, we're actually working with the enemy of our souls. We are aligning ourselves with the prince of darkness instead of the king of kings. Peter wanted the things of God, but he wanted things his way. <laughs> does that sound familiar? I know it does to me. How often do I return to my old jeans? Because my new ones are uncomfortable. Guess what? The newness of God is uncomfortable. The newness of God actually pierces us straight through the heart. It requires change and submission and bending to another person's will. When we encounter the newness of God, we are put through the ringer. Read the Gospels. Peter was put through the ringer. I can't even imagine the embarrassment that he must have felt as Jesus walked back with him to the group. I mean, I can only imagine they'd kind of seen from a distance what was going on as Jesus says, Get behind me, Satan. That's embarrassing. He experienced failure, shame, confusion as he desperately did want Jesus to be in charge, but at the same time, he wanted to be in charge himself. He wants Jesus to be his Lord, but then he finds himself telling Jesus what to do. New requires adjustment. New requires change. Do you hear this? New requires learning and discomfort. Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. This is just a trite phrase that elicits good feelings if we don't grapple with the significant cost that the newness of God requires. Andy last week referenced that God intends us to experience new now here on earth, not just off in the future, in heaven. And that should fill us with hope. We should be inspired by the idea of new, but we can't just sit with our inspiration. We have to actually be aligned with what it actually means to be new in Jesus. And Jesus tells us exactly what new requires of us in the next few verses. After Peter's strong rebuke, Jesus turns to the disciples and he says these words, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? For the Son of Man will come with his angels in the glory of his Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. These are challenging words, sobering words. The one who makes all things new modeled for us the only way by which we will ever partake of God's newness. He died. He died. And he sits now on the throne of heaven, beckoning to us with these words, Behold, I make all things new. But there is a catch. The one who sits on the throne in heaven must sit on the throne of our lives. New requires adjustment. New requires change. New requires learning 
and discomfort. We have an opportunity to allow Jesus to sit on the throne of our lives as we walk into the new year. I have a few incomplete, non-comprehensive thoughts for us as we move forward in putting Jesus on the throne, hopefully to give us some tangible next steps in ushering in the newness of God. The first is this. Get off the news and into the word. I don't even like saying it. Got to keep up with those current events. Let me tell you, things are not going well, and there's a lot of political unrest. There you go. (laughs) That's how things are going. God's word is fundamental. We've just been through a rancorous election, and if the events of this past week have taught us anything, it's that things are not getting better. And the rancor is not going away. Is Jesus on the throne of your political ideologies? We are the church, you and me. If the church is to be the hope of the world, then it must bear witness to the only hope of the world, which is Jesus Christ. And in order to do so, we have to stop putting our hope in our governmental system. God's newness requires that we adjust and make changes to our political perspectives. How do we best curate our thought processes? How do we allow our hearts to be changed and transformed and shaped by the values of the kingdom and not the values of this world? By being unwaveringly rooted and founded in the Bible, which is the living word of God. I recognize this can be a difficult process to engage with or even to begin. I'm on a journey. I've been a Christian for 30 years now, and it, it, it's effort. Every time, it's effort. But you can cultivate a devotional life, and I've got some helps for us Ugh, in my pretty box. Everyone say, hi, pretty box of helps. I mean, let's get excited. It's colorful, and there's polka dots on it. How bad could this get? <laughs> okay, so there, I have a range here. This box contains helps for people who don't read their Bibles at all and don't hardly know anything about their Bibles, all the way up to people who read their Bible every year, okay? Like through, cover to cover every year. Which, by the way, I have never done. (sighs) Let me tell you how many times that New Year's resolution has been broken. (laughs) Okay. This is a calendar that I keep on my counter in my kitchen. Uh, We don't always flip the pages, as Owen would attest. Um, We forget sometimes. But um, it gives us a little scripture for each day of the year. And it's really gross because it's in my kitchen, and I've had it in there for a very long time. All right, today is January 10th. This is the scripture for today, Psalm 910. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. Isn't that a great promise? So here's what you do. You read that. Those who trust your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. And you say a prayer, Lord, help me to trust you. I am weak. I don't know how to trust you. I trust myself. I confess that. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to be reminded of who you are, a God who does not forsake me. And Lord, I seek you out today. Show me yourself as I move, as I breathe, as I cook, as I clean. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I think that took maybe, I don't know, a minute? Was that a minute? Was it even a minute? This is a great next step. If you are not reading your Bible, I think this maybe cost me $7. Get it on Amazon. Hobby Lobby has them too. You're right about that. Um, Suggestion number two, post-its. Write a little scripture on your post-it. Stick it on your dashboard. Because guess what? When you're at a stoplight, you'll read it. When you're in the queue for gas, you'll read it. It'll be there with you. You can meditate on a new scripture every day, every week, or if it's even the same one every year, I believe God's word does not return void, and so it's going to transform your life as you meditate on the word. Easy peasy. Okay, suggestion number three. This is the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you don't read your Bible, if it's too confusing, I don't care if you're three, if you're six, if you're 16, if you're 65, you can read this Bible and God will speak to you through it. This is an anointed children's Bible that weaves God's story and plan of redemption all the way through the biblical stories um, from Old Testament all the way up until the book of Revelation. It is beautiful. It is unique in its, in its class. And I would say, pick one of these up and read it. And enjoy the illustrations. It's really great. And if you want, you can go on YouTube and listen to it. There's this British guy who does the, the narration, and it's pretty great. I love it. I mean, British accent. I can't do one, but I can try. What was that? <laughs> I think I just did Scotty from Star Trek. Whoopsie daisies. <laughs> okay, um, the next idea I have for you is to uh, download the YouVersion app. On that app, you can actually join groups of people who are reading Bible, Bible plans together, and you don't have to go at it alone. You have a little support, some accountability. And there are plans on there that range from reading a lot to reading just a little bit, and it's very doable. Um, my final suggestion is for those of you who are like the stalwart reading my Bible in a year, been doing it for 10 years, well, I got a tool for you. This is a theology textbook by John Golden Gay, and it takes, th- uh, it's a- this is actually only a third of the series. It's a three part series, and every book is this big. I really want to read it, <laughs> but it's taking a long time. Dig into some theology. If you're not ready for something like that, pick up a study Bible. In the bottom of every page are footnotes, just little ones, that just give you tidbits. You can go deeper in God's Word and really get some theological content into your life. This is important. I think every time I've preached, I've given read your Bible as one of my application points. I believe that in 2021, we need to get off the news and get into the word, which is why I spent like 10 minutes on this one application point. Okay, I've got three more. They're shorter. The second is use social media as a tool to listen, learn, and love. Social media provides a voice box to every Tom, Dick, and Harry who has something to say to spout off about, even if they have zero skin in the game. It's probably one of the most frustrating things about it. Because you can say whatever you want about anything, and I know that there are people who are getting censored now, and that, but it's still pretty rare. And it's frustrating because people can say anything they want without even having a stake. No risk. The Apostle Paul had something to say 
about this because he experienced the arrogance of people infiltrating the church. And this is what he said in 1 Corinthians. The kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. Is Jesus on the throne of your social media account? Or accounts? I'm sure there are people who have more than one. God's newness requires that we become learners so that our social media accounts can reflect humility. The humility of those who are resolved to know nothing. Nothing except Christ and him crucified. Number three. Oh, excuse me. So here's our concrete opportunity in social media. When you come across someone's perspective that is different than yours, seek to understand by asking thoughtful questions. Seek to try to get to know someone who is different than yourself instead of just allowing your defensive hackles to rise up. Oof, I'm familiar with hackles, let me tell you that. Pause and ask God, what do I have to learn about this person? How can I have compassion for them as valuable human beings rather than just disdain and rejection? Let's use our social media accounts as tools to listen, learn, and love. All right, number three. Practice good stewardship and tithing. It happened. I talked about your money. We are the wealthiest society in history, period. Is Jesus on the throne of your finances? Listen, this is a whole message in and of itself. But this is, this is what I want to say. Jesus talked about money a lot. But for us, it's kitsch. It's poor form. It's nobody's business. But Jesus said, where your money is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 6, 21, debt and greed are not of God. God's newness is going to require some discomfort in this area of our lives. I've been tithing since I was nine years old. God bless my parents for teaching me about it. I got an allowance of $3. And I will tell you this, three dimes changed my life. Three dimes. That's 10% of $3. And I would take my little three dimes and I would put them in the offering as a child. And God, God did something in me. From that point in my life, he deposited in me a trust of him. Listen, I struggle. I, I, I'm, I am the worst of sinners. I struggle to trust God. I struggle to trust God to meet our needs, even now at age 40, 31 years later. But it was a, it was a, it was a like, tiny little link that kept me bound to Jesus. This is not a small matter. Giving to your local church is a practice that's been happening for thousands of years. Look, we don't just want your money. We want to anchor you to Jesus. That is what we want. It's nice to have lights on. It's nice to have a building that you're not sitting here freezing in, right? Those things, it's practical, but it's also very deeply spiritual. I am passionate about this. If you need help, you can email me, Danya at inewhope.org. I don't have all the answers, but I can give you a listening ear, and hopefully we can pray together and get some next steps for you. Let's engage with stewardship and tithing this year. The final application is prayer. Make time for prayer. Prayer is a pathway to forgiveness. 
Prayer is a pathway to receiving forgiveness. Prayer aligns our hearts with God's heart. It allows us to anguish over the difficulties that invade our lives every single day in this chaotic world. Prayer allows us access to comfort and puts God back in the driver's seat. It calls him sovereign over our circumstances, over our future, over our time. We've offered a significant opportunity for prayer here um, as we start the new year. This last week, we had eight sessions of prayer, four at 7 a.m. and four at noon, which are broadcast online as well for those of you who find it difficult to come. And over this three-week course of fasting, we will offer 20, or, yeah, 24 opportunities to prayer. In a day where every imaginable opportunity for diversion and distraction exists in a black box in our living rooms, in a day where words like Hulu, Netflix, YouTube, Roku, Amazon, HBO, ESPN, Peacock, are there more probably, are synonymous with socially acceptable binging. Is Jesus Lord of your time? Is he sitting on the throne of your time? God's newness requires that we make a change when it, in regards to the area of screen consumption. I 100% believe that. So let's get off our screens and into prayer. Come to our prayer gatherings. 7 a.m., noon. Come pray with us. Let's usher the new year in with prayer. All right, guys, new requires, does anyone remember the first word? Adjustment. New requires? Change. New requires? Learning. Good. New requires? Discomfort. The new year has come. For many, there has been great relief that 2020 is over. That somehow inherent in just moving that year ahead to 2021, there is a promise of something better. But you and I know that the ticking clock between December 31st and January 1st was just a figment. There's no power there. The power resides in Jesus Christ. Behold, I make all things new. The power to move us from old to new is all about the Spirit of God coming alive to us. So let's make those who be those who make adjustments and are willing to change and willing to learn and willing to be uncomfortable so that we can bring the words of Jesus in Revelation 21.5 to bear on our lives. Father, I just thank you for the time that we've had in your scripture this morning. I thank you that your word speaks, that it comes alive, that it's powerful and active, that it cuts through bone and marrow, Lord, that your word is, is, is razor sharp, and that if we would attune ourselves to it, we would be sharpened as well. Lord, I pray that we would be those who are known and founded by your truth. Known and founded by humility. Known and founded by commitment that's deeper than face value. Lord, I thank you so much for what you are doing, for who you are in our midst. Lord, I pray that you would bring us together under the unity of your Holy Spirit and the banner of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, now's the time for what we would call uh, the awkward dismissal. (laughs) 
I'd love it if you guys would just stand up with me. I'm standing. I'm the only one, maybe. Oh, Rhonda's standing. Um, stand up. Gather your belongings. Um, you know, we're still committed to, to abiding by the re- restrictions that we have in place. So we're not going to hang out a lot. We miss it. We miss you. One of these days, we're going to have a big old party, and I can't wait for it. But for now, um, if you would go ahead and make your way out. And kids, I'm going to rush out in front of everyone rudely so I can meet, meet you at the table to give you your prizes. Have a great week, guys.